if you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with us to Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, as we pick up with Jesus um, on Thursday night. And the story will unfold further in the weeks to come, Lord willing, as we'll journey with Jesus to the cross Friday. And so uh, we pick up there where we've been walking through the Word of God together through Matthew's Gospel. It's an interesting quote to lead with, I'll just be honest and upfront about that, but I think it's one of those more famous sports quotes of all time, and it comes from none other than Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, prior to facing Evander Holyfield in one of his bouts, they were asking Tyson, how are you going to handle all of Holyfield's moves and his footwork and all these things, and Tyson just quips back this quote that's kind of lived on since then. He said that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And Tyson's point was, listen, you can have all these plans, but the moment that that unfolds or unleashes, everything kind of goes out the window. And in some ways, that text kind of, or that statement kind of gabs the mantra of what happens with the disciples today in our text. They have this plan, this thought like that they're going to stay faithful to Jesus. Again, this is Thursday, right, of, of Passion Week. Friday, Jesus will be on the cross. They're, they're just a few hours from that moment. And the disciples are convinced that they have a plan, that they are going to remain faithful, that they will not deny their Lord and Master. They have a plan. But then comes the garden. And in the garden, war breaks loose. Spiritual warfare that is intense. And these guys who thought they had a plan spiritually are punched in the mouth. And their plan that they thought would would come to pass, in fact, is going to leave our text today with them running away from their Savior into the darkness. The truth is, these guys weren't strong enough, and just like them, we aren't either. And the, the truth is, further, is guess what? These are Jesus' closest followers, and they aren't able to stand up against the enemy in and of themselves. And the reminder to you and I is this, we won't be able to in our own strength either. We face a real enemy, and the temptation is real. The stresses of our lives are real. And so while these temptations rage before us and before the disciples, it reminds us this, that we, like the disciples, have fallen away. But Jesus has remained faithful. We have spurned the Father's will, but Jesus has submitted or surrendered to it. We have deserted God, and yet, as we see in the text today, Jesus remains devoted to His Father. All of this, this text today, this war that's taking place, this spiritual warfare and all the intensity of it, here in Matthew chapter 26, screams to us that God wins the war, not by our strength, but by Jesus' surrender. God wins the war, not by our strength, not by the strength of the disciples, but by the submission and surrender of Jesus to the Father. The text today here in Matthew 26 presents maybe three different snapshots of this moment. Again, we're in Thursday evening and they've just had the Lord's Supper, right? Jesus has just confessed that one of them is going to deny him. And we found out that it was Judas who's already been working with the the religious leaders over in the background. And, And that moment, right? And then Matthew doesn't record, but we have the washing of the feet. We have the moment in which Jesus begins to say the Passover meal points to something greater and better. His body, his blood that's poured out. And so that meal's going to finish, and they're going to go out in the garden into the darkness. And man, it is in this moment of darkness 
that spiritual warfare and this intensity begins to wage. This war takes place in the garden. And so we want to look through these and and just walk through this hard, difficult moment in Jesus' life and that of the disciples. So let's walk through it today. Maybe three truths I want to share with you. The first one is this. God wins the war not by our devotion, but by Christ's defeat of death. God wins the war not by your and my devotion, but by Christ's defeat of death. Look at verse 30. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, They went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Notice what Jesus says tonight. He says, this is what's going to happen this very night. Notice what he says here. He says, this night you all are going to fall away. All of you. This is happening again, this moment of intensity. They've just had the Lord's Supper, right? He's just told them he's going again, telling them again about the fact that he's going to give his body and his blood. He's going to die on the cross. We know that they are there. Judas has by this point already left. He's gone out into the night. He's going to show back up in a few moments in our text. But Jesus says, all of you guys are going to forsake me and run. But guess what? They're not all convinced he's right. Look what happens here. Look what Peter answers beginning in verse 33. Peter answers him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never what? I'll never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter says to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. It's interesting, right? Peter is some way seemingly convinced that he's stronger. That he's more devoted than any of the rest. It's interesting, this word right here again. We keep hearing it, fall away, fall away, right? We hear it further again in a few moments. But notice what Peter says about this falling away. He says, I'll never do it. The the word fall away there is a word from which we get scandal. In some sense, Peter says, listen, everybody else is going to leave and betray you. Everybody else is going to be a part of that scandal, but I won't. Maybe you've been there. You never thought you would do that. Never thought you would commit that. That would never happen in your life. You would never be like so-and-so. Peter says, I'll never. Jesus says, you know what, Peter, you're right. You won't deny me just once. In fact, this very night, you're going to deny me how many times? Three. And Peter, guess what? I mean, this guy is just passionate. You're going to see it in a moment. He's going to unsheath his sword. He's going to go after it in a moment. I mean, he is. He's devoted. This this brother is is absolutely, he he might be saying back to Jesus, we might say in our vernacular here in verse 35, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Jesus, you're my ride or die. I'm with you to the very end. All the disciples say, we are with you, bro. We are with you. We're not backing down. We're bowing up. We're going with you no matter what comes. And yet, about 20 verses later, all 11 of them, including Peter, are going to be scurrying out the door, running from the one they promised not to deny. And I think into that moment, we just need to ask, is there any hope? Because you've probably been there, right? You've had moments when you thought you would never do that, that would never happen with you, you would never commit this or that. And listen to this moment of hope. We kind of, we passed through it, and I just want to come back to it for a moment. Uh, It's verse 31. Pick up there with me again. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. What's Jesus' basis for saying the fact that, guess what? This very night, all of you are going to fall away. Notice what his basis is. For it is written. 
He says, guess what? Even in the midst of the greatest spiritual warfare and all the intensity and all the evil that's ramping around us, he says, I want you to know, church, there's one thing that will stand firm. It is the very word of God. God's truth will remain. His word will stand rock solid. Right? It's what you've been singing. Your word, right? My Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Your word is the truth. It's been in my soul this week. I just keep singing this song. All other ground is what? Sinking sand. I've just been singing, just driving down the road. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Just keep singing it. Why? Because sometimes my soul gets weak. Sometimes I have moments when I struggle and think, man, am I effective? Or how did that go? Or, man, Lord, maybe there's just some, some, some tension in my life. And I maybe want to draw back from this word. And sometimes I just have to sing those old hymns. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Guess what? Jesus says in the midst of this, you guys are going to all deny me. And this is the reason why. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He's quoting from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. In the the passage of Zechariah, what we know is about a third of the sheep are the only ones that come back. Right? There's many that are lost. This This is a serious striking. But Jesus says, I want you to know there's something, in fact, that will restore straying sheep. There's something that will restore broken and strained and fleeing disciples and it's the same thing that restores us it's jesus's death and resurrection look what he says in verse 32 but after i am raised up i will go before you to galilee he says guys i want you to know that in the midst of you being scattered and the and and the sheep right the sheep scattering and the shepherd being struck ultimately going to the cross he says i want you to know there's going to come a moment when i will be raised up He he doesn't say to them, I want you to know, guys, it's just about you doing more, trying harder. I want you to do more in your own strength. He says, no, the victory comes by my death and my resurrection. That's what brings sheep back. It's a good shepherd. Now, we don't capture it maybe in our our translations, but but Jesus says to them, maybe in our vernacular, we might hear it like this. But after I'm raised up, I will go before y'all to Galilee. It's second person plural. He's saying, I want you to know that I'm going before all of you guys. I'm not leaving any of you behind. I don't know, no matter how bad the next little hours go, the next few days go for you. I want you to know I'm not leaving you. In other words, Jesus says to them and us that despite your failure, I'm not finished with you. Let the church say amen. Despite your failure, I'm not finished with you. Right? I'm going before you. I'm going to face your penalty that you can be free from it, that you can follow me. Maybe there's some here today that you've just strayed. At one point, you were serious about your commitment to Christ and and you never intended to end up kind of where you are today. You just never thought you would be there. And maybe you're asking the question, can you come back? If so, like, what's the way? Maybe you wonder, maybe it's just being more devoted this time. Like maybe if, if I read my Bible more this time, if I pray more, if I come to church more, if I sing more, if I give more, if I serve more, like surely doing more is great. I, I'm, not, I'm not dismantling that. But I do want you and I to see that the way ultimately to come back is not more of what we do. It's about what he does for us. In, in other words, this is what I'm trying to say today, church. Let his devotion to us compel us to remain devoted to him. Rather than trying to make our devotion compel him to remain faithful to us, let's let his faithfulness to us, his devotion to us, compel us to remain devoted to him. It's the good news of the gospel. 
So we see in this first truth, these first five verses here of Matthew 26, 30 to 35, that God wins the war, not by our devotion, but by Christ's defeat over death. It's Christ's defeat of death, right? That's, that's what brings the victory here in the midst of this. And the second truth comes this. God wins the war, not by our strength, but by Jesus' surrender. God wins the war, not by our strength, but by Jesus' surrender. Look what he says, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, the two sons of Zebedee are James and who? James and John, right? So he has three guys. He takes of the 11 that are remaining, he takes three with him. He goes further into the garden to pray. And that's what it says here about Jesus. These are some of the words, I think, uh, of highlighting Christ's humanity. I think oftentimes we forget that he was fully man. That's what it says. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them this statement. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. This is Christ. I think his humanity on full display. We don't think about oftentimes Jesus ever really having trouble in his life. But notice what he says. My soul is very sorrowful. Right? He's just, Matthew's told us he's sorrowful and troubled. But notice he says here, even to what? Even to death. Jesus is in such a place emotionally that he feels like he's going to die. This is intense. I don't know, for some of you, you've experienced deep sorrow. And maybe it's the face of that loved one. That you see as you think about the sorrow and the overwhelming feeling. Maybe for some of you it was the end of a relationship that you never saw coming. For others of you, maybe it was a failure of that business or that dream. And you just experience heartache. Some of you, again, when you think about that sorrow and that overwhelming, just crushing feeling, maybe it's about someone you love and care for that's sick. They don't seem to be getting better. And it just seems to be crushing in on you. But I think what this moment says to us, guys, is that this moment, maybe the temptation in our heartache, our our hurtful, hurt moments of sorrow and trouble, is we have a tendency to run away from God. But I think this text compels us to run to Him. I, I think, consider this, maybe in the midst of our suffering, we are naturally just drawn to other people who have experienced similar suffering, aren't we? Like they, they, they know the language, that they, they know the dates that come again, like that birthday, that anniversary, that moment, right, that comes again. They, they can sing the song in the night, so to speak. Like they just know the heartache. And so we have a tendency to be drawn to people that have just experienced similar suffering that we have. That's just the reality. Matthew says to us in this moment, to our heartache and sorrow and trouble, he knows. Jesus knows your heartache and suffering. Look what he's experiencing on your behalf. He too has walked through the darkest of darkest of times. It's this moment of hope in the midst of our own Savior's sorrow. It's interesting where Jesus himself in fact is. Notice what it says back here in verse 36. It says, Jesus went with them to a place called what? Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane indicates oil press, this indication of being squeezed. And that's exactly what we see happening with Jesus in this this moment of the text. Is that he's being squeezed, being crushed. It's a difficult, challenging moment, but he's there experiencing it for us in the garden. One of our boys, he he loves orange juice. And so 
Uh, we, we got a, a, a juicer for him, and, and man, he likes to sometimes peel those oranges out and put that bad boy on there and just crush it. And, and, and we, I don't know about you, but if you've ever squeezed an orange, what comes out? Seeds, orange juice, right? It's been said that similarly, guess what? When you and I are squeezed, you know what comes out? What's on the inside? Just like that orange, right? When those moments come and those pressure points come, those moments of stress and anxiety and, and, and sickness and fear and worry and relationships struggling and people dying and things not working, man, it just begins to create a, this oil press. Like we, maybe we're not in Gethsemane, but we feel like we're experiencing that. And might I ask you, so what do you do when you're squeezed? What do you do when you're facing temptation to sin or, or the spiritual wars just raging on your mind? How do you overcome it? I think, church, it has to say to us, we follow the example of our Savior. And what's He do? He goes to His Father in prayer. He cries out to God, God, help me. God, strengthen me. And guys, I want you to know that Paul says that you and I have the power to overcome sin. Is it in us? No. It's not our strength. It's His and Paul says in Romans 8 and 13, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. It's the power of God's Spirit. So church, when you are experiencing those pressure moments of, of temptation and sin, and you're not sure how you're going to wrestle with it, I want to compel you to follow the example of our Savior. Call out to God in prayer. Here recently I was with someone I deeply care about and I was just desiring to share the gospel and I'll just be honest with you, I was afraid. I was afraid and so we had been together for a while and I, I just, every excuse, reason why I couldn't say, couldn't talk. And man, I just, the Spirit just began to strengthen me. I just began to experience this moment of just, Holy Spirit, help me. God, please help me. I, I, I'm, I'm with them, right? So I'm not out loud, but internally, right? There's this, there's this war going on. My flesh is weak. I just want to shrink back from the moment. But the power of God's Holy Spirit, there's this moment of Gethsemane, right? This squeezing of me. Will I remain quiet? Will I just, I just stay my role? So I, all I know to do is just start crying out to God, please give me courage, God. Please help me. Please, God. Please. Open my mouth. And then in a few moments, probably three or four minutes of that, just wrestling in prayer, the Lord opens my mouth and words begin to come out. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And then immediately as soon as that finished, I don't know about you, have you ever had those moments when you begin to feel sick in your stomach? It's like, oh no, it's not over again, right? You ever had those moments? You're like, oh man, I thought I was finished and I'm not. The Spirit just begins to say, Blake, you've got to say more. And I'm like, no, I don't want, I've said enough. I've done my part in the Spirit. So I want you to know there's just those moments. And guess what I do? I start calling out to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me. Lord Jesus, please. Guys, listen, this is the example of our Savior to call out to our Father when we are facing trials and troubles. I want to compel you to pray, to call out to your Father. Why? Because God wins the war not by our strength, but by Jesus' surrender. And guys, if the war is to be won in our lives in the moment of temptation and struggle, it is because Christ will be your strength. It is the power of the Spirit. If by the Spirit, Paul says, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Not by your own strength, by the Spirit. Here is our Savior. Look what happens here, verse 39, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now, from this moment here, we have Jesus when he, notice he falls on his face. This, this is why Christians throughout 
history, the past 2,000 years. That's why we often kneel. That's why often we may get on our faces down to pray. We're following the example of our Savior, right? This was often, often right, throughout the Old Testament, we have moments where people fall down their faces and pray. So this is just a posture of God's people. It's a mark of prayer and a mark of submission. Wow, what's happening? Well, in that moment, just consider it, right? When you're bowing, it, it's a sign of weakness, right? It's a sign of humility. I, I mentioned Mike Tyson. I don't know if any of I don't know if we've ever seen somebody walk in the room and like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight box somebody on my knees. No. You're always standing. But man, this posture is one of humility. It, it's saying to God, but also to our own soul, I can't do this. It's saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I've made a record this week. My relationships are struggling. My finances are struggling. My emotions, I'm at a breaking point. Lord, I don't know how to make this decision I've got to make. God, I need you. It's a posture of humility. And some of you, you may think, I'm too tough for that. That's the toughest man that's ever lived on his face. It's the Son of God. None of us are too strong or too good. We have too much pride. But beloved, we need to be calling out to our Savior. This is the Son of God on His face praying. He says, my Father, if it is possible, notice what He asks. This is, this is an epic moment. Let this, what? This cup. The cup is an imagery throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes it's one of blessing and joy. But it can also indicate suffering and sorrow and death. This cup, though, is not just simply one of suffering and death. It also has something else with it. It helps us understand what is happening with this cup to help us understand why we see different Christian martyrs throughout history, some of them literally being burned at the stake and they're singing. And we wonder, how could they go to their death singing like that and yet we see our Savior in the garden suffering? Why? Because nobody else has ever had to drink this cup. Nobody else has ever been able to drink this cup, the cup of God's wrath and judgment and take it on. But the Son of God is doing that. And so His moment is unique. Jesus drinks the cup of wrath that you and I could drink, the cup of salvation. It's this hope of the gospel. And so there He is, this cup of God's judgment for our sin. Christ is going to take on our sin. And He's going to take the judgment and the wrath of God for us He's taking the cup. Can you imagine that? Imagine for a moment in your hand is that chalice full with the wrath and judgment of God. And the blessed Savior walks to you, takes it from your hand, and goes to the cross and drinks it. He takes the wrath and judgment for you. Beloved, does that not compel you to worship? Does that not compel us to come and cry out to Him? This is beautiful my father if it be possible let this cup pass from me notice what the text continues going verse 40 he came to the disciples and found them what sleeping and he said to peter so could you not watch with me one hour peter could you not keep awake for one hour bro some of you may need to answer that come on so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes 
were heavy. Notice what the, the praying that Jesus is doing. I, I think it's, it's important. Notice what he's asking here. Okay? It happens in verse 39 and again also in verse 42. Look with me just for a moment. He says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what? Not as I will, but as you will. All right? So look, now fast forward back to verse 42 with me. The second time he prays. My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it. Notice what he says here. Your what? Your will be done. Your will be done. Right? It's a pivotal moment. Jesus warring against the desire for another way. I think we all have that desire, don't we? That it wars against us for another way. We desire to do things our own way, our own thoughts, our own approach. I mean, think about this again. Where are we? We're, we're in a garden, aren't we? The Garden of Gethsemane. In some ways, I think the biblical imagery here is rich. Why? Because the first real spiritual war and struggle that took place, guess what? It takes place where? In a garden. And in that garden was the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. And instead of praying and submitting and doing, saying, You're not my will, but your will be done, they live and do their own will. And now in their place steps the second Adam. The Adam that's not from the dust of the earth, as Paul says in Romans 5, but the one that is from heaven above, the Son of God. He's the true and better Adam. And he comes to the garden, and instead of giving in to his own will, he instead prays and surrenders to the Father, saying, Not my will, but your will be done. What a moment. Christ, this is the way to victory. Guys, this is the way to victory in your own spiritual struggle as you wrestle, right? Those wrestling that often happens when you're alone. Maybe it's alone with the phone or alone with the TV. It's alone to send that message or you're off in some other place where no one else can see you or be aware. Those moments when that temptation begins to urge on our soul, our sinful flesh begins to rear up. Might we in that moment see the victory that our Father has set before us by the Son of God? Cry out, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Help me, God. Church, we must get desperate. I read this week. It was a guy who's writing to pastors, and he was talking about our, our sermon prep and all that and, and our lack of praying. I mean, I was deeply convicted. And he says, you know what? This is a good gauge, pastor, of, of what you think about prayer. He said, at what point in your sermon preparation do you become desperate? And might I ask that the same to you? At what point in the midst of your temptations and trials and struggles do you find yourself finally desperate? Have you gotten there yet? That child or grandchild that's not saved, have you gotten desperate? Teaching that Sunday school class, have you come to the place of being desperate? In preaching sermons, have I come to the place of being desperate? Are we doing so much? Are we coming at cow days? Have we come to the place of being desperate? Saying, God, we cannot do it. We don't have the strength, Lord, but you do. Not our will, but your will be done. Guys, it's Christ's strength. It's his power. And the good news is, guess what? In the midst of this, what are the disciples doing? They're sleeping. They're sleeping. Why? It compels us, guys. In the midst of our weakness, we, sh- we have a temptation to run away from God. But this text compels us to run to Him. He knows we're weak. His 11 are weak. Just like that, we're weak. It's not surprising to God that you and I struggle to pray, that we struggle to stay focused to Christ, that we, stay, we struggle to spend time in the Word. He knows our weaknesses. That's why He's here in the garden. And that's why He's praying, not my will, 
but your will be done. That's why he's going to take the cup of wrath for you and I, because we are weak and broken people. And this text compels us, as we, you're going to see in a moment, just a beautiful moment of mercy and grace to these guys. This text compels you and I. Don't run from God, but run to him. That's the very words of Hebrews chapter 4. Look what it was, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let's read it further. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that or so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Did you hear that? He says, listen, the reality is Jesus knows that we are weak. He's able to sympathize. He's experienced temptation himself, yet he did not give in to it. But notice what he says. Let us then. Let us look at that. Let us then, in spite of the fact that we're weak. And the reality is we, he knows we're weak. And he says the temptation will be because you sin and because your sinful flesh is weak, you'll be tempted to run away from me in shame. But he says instead, instead because of who your high priest is, because of who your Savior is, don't let it compel you to run away from him, but instead run to him. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive what, church? We're going to receive mercy and what? Grace to help in the time of need. It compels us. I want to ask you today, are you weak? Are you weak? If so, the Bible says to run to the throne of grace, not from it. Jesus is in the garden and he's suffering. And the disciples are sleeping. And they're about to run from him. And yet, in his mercy and grace, he compels us to come. I think it's a reminder that what will restore us is not trying harder, but instead receiving mercy and grace. He doesn't say that, right? He doesn't say if you're struggling and you're weak, to go out and do better. Get on with it already. What's wrong with you? No, he says if you're struggling and you're weak, then draw near to God. That's what he says. The temptation again is if you struggle, you think, I don't belong here. Maybe I won't read my Bible today. I haven't been doing very good. I shouldn't come to church this week. If I have a better week next week, then I'll sing some more songs. Then I'll get serious about serving. No, the Bible compels us that in our weakness, run to Christ. Run to Him. The text concludes here in this this moment before it transitions, says, verse 44, So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The disciples continue to sleep and fail their Savior. And in just a few moments, they're going to deny him and flee. And yet this statement of mercy and grace rings out. And it, just, it just captured my heart this week. That's what he says. Verse 30, 46. Rise, let what? I love it. He doesn't say, you know what, Blake? Dude, if that's who you are, you're supposed to be a preacher, bro. Get your act together. I'm done with you. No, he says, come on, brother. I know you're weak, baby. Let us be going. Let us. Not, just, not, not me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not done. Again, it's not based on our performance. It's based upon his mercy and his grace. So we said last week, it's not grit, it's grace. It's mercy, not merit. 
surprise. Let us. He includes these guys who are sleeping on him in his hardest, darkest hour. And you think he won't forgive you? It's a lie of the enemy. And it's spiritual warfare, and you better recognize and see it. There's an enemy that says that you're too dirty, you're too far gone, you've done too much, you can't come back. Let the gospel be the trump card. This is the truth. It's God's holy word. Return back to the good shepherd. He knows we're sheep. So God wins the war, not by our strength, but by Jesus' surrender. And finally, we see this. Is that Jesus trusts God to win the war, not by our sword, but by God's sovereignty. Jesus trusts God to win the war, not by our sword, but by God's sovereignty. Look what happens here. While he was still speaking, verse 47 of Matthew 26, Judas came, one of the twelve. And with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss as the man sees him. And he came to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. He said to him, Friend, do what you came, do what you came to do. And they came up and laid hands on Jesus and they seized him. And behold, those... One of those who were with Jesus, the Gospels tell us is Peter. He unsheathed his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and he cut off his ear. Jesus says to him, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Peter's faithful, but his faithfulness is misdirected. Luke 22 tells us that in this moment, Jesus' mercy and grace reaches out and he takes this cut off ear and puts it back on Malchus's head. He heals him. But Jesus says to Peter, the sword won't win the battle. In fact, Peter, you're fighting with the wrong sword, brother. You've got the wrong weapons. As Paul says, the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. We're not like the world, church. He says, on the contrary, we have divine power, right, to demolish strongholds. We've been given these weapons of spiritual warfare. Prayer, fasting, confession of sin. Crying out to the Spirit, help me. Asking other brothers and sisters to walk beside you and help. Did you find it interesting that in our darkest hour, our Savior was asking His disciples, His friends to pray for Him? I want to ask you, who do you have in this church that you can ask to help you pray? In moments of weakness, though you struggle, emotionally, spiritually, who do you have that you're asking to help help you in prayer? My concern is, is that many of us have no one in the church that we ever acknowledge, really. I mean, just get vulnerable with, that you're struggling with an area of sin or temptation, and we all have it. Come on. We want to compel you and urge you to consider. We're going to be gathering starting Sunday night, October 10th, to meet in small groups, community groups, however you want to find it here in the church. And part of that time will be an opportunity for you just to to share with somebody else an area of sin, of temptation, of struggle that you have and just say, would you pray for me? Maybe you just need some accountability. Somebody just ask you hard and honest questions. Because we all need that. Again, this, this Savior is asking His disciples, watch and pray. Who do you have that you could go to truthfully and say, would you watch and pray for my marriage? It's struggling. Would you watch and pray? I'm really struggling with what I look at on the phone or do. Would you watch and pray? I'm struggling a lot right now with just lies or gossip. 
Would you watch and pray right now? I'm struggling. I have so much anger and hatred toward this person or this group of people that's in my heart. Would you watch and pray? Because I am weak and I need help. And I'm crying out to God, but I need the brothers and the sisters of Christ to help me. Who do you have that's doing that? I want to urge you to come and join with us as we begin to gather. But again, Jesus says to him, listen, Peter, there's a different weapon that I have. And it's not the weapon of the flesh. It's not to unsheath the sword. He says, it's my faith and the sovereignty of God. Look what Jesus says to him again after that statement of put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He says, do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Right? So a legion represents about 6,000 Roman soldiers. He's talking about 72,000 angels. I don't think Jesus is trying to get mathematical with us. He's just saying, listen, Peter, I think something's happening deeper in your heart right now, bro. I think, I think you're struggling with the reality of what I think you and I struggle with. We fear that God's lost control. We see our culture and our world and we see all these things happening. And we think, God, if, bro, are you still on the throne? You seeing this? You letting this happen on your watch? Or maybe even something deeper when you experience a real heartache and struggle. Maybe it's not just simply thinking maybe God's lost control. You begin to wonder, God, have you stopped loving me? Because if God was really loving me, surely, like, if God was really loving Jesus, he's not going to let this happen to his son, is he? I mean, maybe the enemy, I mean, that's what he plants in our mind, isn't it? If God really loved you, would he let that happen to the person you love and care about? He says, Peter. My, notice he says, I love it. My father. My father's still on the throne. He still has all authority in heaven and earth. He could send 12 legions of angels right now and annihilate everyone, right? The angel of death goes out in the, in the Old Testament. It puts 185,000 to death in one night, in one angel. 72,000 angels? You imagine? It's over. That's, in, that's true in game. He says, my father, listen, he is there. He is sovereign. But I want you to know, Peter, that this suffering is happening. Why? Because there must become a greater Passover. It's the passing over of your sin and it happens by the true Lamb of God going to the cross and dying. Look what he says, verse 54, but then how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place at the Scripture of the prophet's the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then this statement, right, which is what we began with. Then all the disciples, what? Left him and fled. They had a plan. And then they got punched in the mouth. Their own flesh was threatened, right? They were afraid. They're scared. Their danger is happening. It's just this moment when the shepherd is struck and the sheep scatter. This week I was reading a book on prayer and the gentleman that writes it was sharing about his own experience that his brother suddenly died. And he said he was amazed that after his brother suddenly died, how, how quickly it felt like his faith in Christ just vanished. How, how quickly it was just seeming like, what happened? I thought I was so strong and yet now I feel so weak, so far away. It was interesting as he writes that, he, he talks about the great Christian author C.S. Lewis who after his wife died, he wrote these words about his own experience. It seemed to ring true for both of them, and it, it kind of hit home in my own life. Maybe it will for you. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes again after his wife dies. God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. 
He knew it already. It was I who didn't. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. I think it rings true of what's happening in this text. Guys, Jesus already knows the true condition of the disciples' heart. He's told them beforehand, you're all going to deny me and flee. And then they do it. It's not run a test or an experiment just simply to say, how good can you be? No, he's just in this moment. The revelation is coming. They're weak, just like we are weak. So what is maybe your most recent test revealed to you about your own faith? Maybe you thought you had a good plan. You were in good shape. You were, you were, you were, you were just on a better course. And then that moment came and, man, you got punched in the mouth. Guys, this text says to us that God knows we are weak and that's why Christ came to die. Well, furthermore, don't let the moments in which you get punched in the mouth deceive you into thinking that God's not in control or He doesn't love you. Jesus says to us all, trust in the Father. Trust also in me. This is a hard text, isn't it? Brother Todd and I sit in on Tuesday of this past week and we were just talking about how sad this text is. I mean, just consider it for a moment. Jesus says that all of you, my disciples, are going to flee. He says, I'm going to be struck. Then he goes to the garden. And when it comes time to pray, his closest followers, instead of praying for him, are sleeping. He takes on the cup that he doesn't deserve. It's our cup to drink, and yet he drinks it. He comes up, and then a few moments later, one of his own twelve that he's poured into for these three years, Judas, comes and leads these people that betray him, and he betrays him with a kiss. And then the moment when he most needs his disciples, they all run and flee. And yet there stands our Savior. Stoic, submissive, surrendering, strong. And the disciples look a lot like me and maybe a lot like you. Sleepy, scared, self-serving, and scattering. As I sent there and thought about this text this week of like, man, what do I say to you guys in light of this text? It's hard. This is a depressing text. Three words just kind of kept reverberating in my soul. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. That you would experience that for those guys and you experience it for us. In fact, those are the words of song that we sing here from time to time. And I just want you to hear those words as we close. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son, drank the bitter cup reserved for me. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness know no end. Because your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Would you pray with me? Father, we just say thank you that you would send your son. Jesus, thank you that you would drink the cup that was reserved for us. The cup of the Father's wrath. Holy Spirit, we say thank you that you by your power, would cause us to be born again and that you would fill us to worship your Son and to overcome the moments in which we are squeezed and temptation and sin comes knocking at our door. 
Thank you, Lord, that we who were once your enemies have now become your children by faith in the Son of God, and that we can come to your table. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.